Hello, Buckeye fans, and welcome to another episode of the Bucknuts Happy Hour. I'm Patrick Murphy with Bucknuts and 24-7 Sports. We're going to be talking to you for roughly uh, another happy hour here. Um, we're going to talk some Michigan State with our guy Stephen Brooks from Spartan Insider here in the next few minutes. We'll uh, we'll talk about the season the Spartans have had, which has not gone the way that they expected or, or hoped, I think, up in East Lansing and, and kind of what to expect coming into Ohio Stadium for a primetime game on Saturday night. Um, after that, I have some thoughts on Ohio State's offense I want to share with you guys. Um, if you have questions, please throw them in the chat. We'll have some time at the end to dis- to answer some of those. But let's dive into it uh, and get to our Michigan State discussion. Steven, what's going on, my man? Hey, man, just getting my last couple of things in order. I guess I got – well, first I got to cover some basketball tonight, but then just getting everything else in order to head down to – to uh, Columbus this weekend, so uh, nothing, nothing too exciting beyond that stuff. Just working and work adjacent things. Yep. No, uh, no craziness in basketball, right? No, that it was just a very easy game to start the Spartan season the other night. Right. Yeah. Right. About that. Um, <laughs> yeah. Not the. You know, everyone had sort of. I think uh, a lot of the fan base had. Um, you know, they they they'd gone through their stages and, and they they'd moved to the stage of forget this, at least there's basketball. And then that very quickly, that floor dropped out underneath them. Um, look, when, hey, James Madison's a better team than folks probably realize on paper. I get they're not a brand. It's not like a, a mid-major you recognize, but um, they're legit. Uh, and, you know, not that Michigan State should have lost them at home. But, um, you know, yeah, tough start to the season for those guys. I think they'll bounce back tonight with Southern Indiana. But uh, and I still think there's a lot of good things in store potentially for this team. But that was obviously not the way uh, you want to come out of the gate. No, no. Um, and we're going to talk mostly football here, but Buckeyes didn't have their greatest performance either. And look, James Madison is, I saw this on Twitter, the only team in the country to have be undefeated in football and have a top five basketball win. So, you know, credit to them, right? Mm-hmm. Um, let's get into it. And I want to, I want to let you know, I am going to give you, I'm going to ask you here when we're towards the end, kind of your the Michigan State thoughts on what's going on in Ann Arbor. So have that matriculating in the back matriculating in the back of your head there because I'd like to get okay. your perspective on that, but don't want to blindside you with it. Um, sure. But let's talk Spartans right now. What would you say was your expectation for this team coming into the season? And then we'll get into kind of how things have played out. But what were what were you thinking this team could be had things worked out maybe differently this year prior to the season starting? Yeah, my my expectations weren't very high. I picked them to go six and six. Uh, I think most people were between five to seven wins. You know, some people, the very optimistic folks, had maybe eight or nine on the high end. So it was never going to be like a a Big Ten contending team. Um, I just, I thought there were a lot of question marks. Uh, They lost some NFL talent and some key spots. Um, Not a ton, but, you know, good players. Guy like Jaden Reed was an all Big Ten guy, you know, for example. yeah, I just I, I didn't have a lot of faith with what was coming back. The quarterback play obviously was a total mystery and has, has not panned out in a great way. So I thought they'd be a 500 team. I thought this would just be sort of a tread water type of year. Uh, don't go backwards, but don't do anything, you know, uh, probably not going to overachieve like they did in 2021. But don't go backwards and don't lose the momentum. This was all about just, you know, back then, this was all about continuing the momentum that Mel Tucker was creating on the recruiting trail. Their best players 
right now, the most the most of their talent is concentrated in the freshman and sophomore classes. So Mel right. Tucker's the final two recruiting classes. And it was all about, you know, just grow those guys, get them into being sophomores and juniors instead of freshmen and sophomores, get another decent class underneath you. Just don't fall on your face and lose your recruiting momentum. Get a third class like that in here. And then, you know, 2024 and beyond is when real expectations, I think, would have would have come back onto the program. So that's really all it was. Just get back to a bowl game. You know, there's no excuse for Michigan State not to be in a bowl game at a minimum. So just do that and just kind of do the bare minimum. But like I said, to, to keep the overarching trajectory in place, which would have been, you know, which which was all about recruiting. If they could have got a third straight top 25 class, then I think, uh, you know, again, they would next year, I think, was when you'd start to see them turn that corner and get back closer to a, a Big Ten contending-ish type of program. Well, things have not gone that way, uh, as I think. Yeah. Um, let's go back to the the Mel Tucker situation. We don't need to go details on on what happened, what didn't happen, all that's going on. But how big of a blow was this to, to the program? You mentioned the recruiting and, and things starting to move in the right direction. Obviously, they gave Mel Tucker the, the big contract after um, the impressive year they had a few years ago. To, to lose a coach who was starting to really build something there – kind of out after the last few years, how, how tough is that on this program? Yeah, you know, it's interesting because I say that, and, like, the, the, again, the, that's a real thing. The, the most talent is in those first – these youngest two classes yeah. on the roster. So he was clearly upgrading the talent in that respect. Um, but after going five and seven last year, like, again, like, Michigan State, with the resources, with the players, they have, you know, they should be in a bowl game. That should be your floor. So having missed that last year, and there were some games, you know, Indiana beat them at home, completing two passes. Like there are some games, and Minnesota came in and, and beat the brakes off of them, which Minnesota was just okay. You know, like there were some losses that people were like, "What? What is this?" You know, like this is not where you should be in year three, uh, coming off eleven. Like it just was not what people thought of. So a lot of, uh, not a, a, a good amount of people, I think, had sort of either. Some had flat out turned on Mel Tucker for sure. But I think a lot of people were starting to become suspicious about whether this was all going to take shape. Um, This 2024 class so far, you know, even over the summer was not shaping up to be a third straight top 25. Um, You know, they weren't getting the same caliber of kids on campus just for visits. And they didn't get a lot of those top 100 kids or five stars or anything that they had two years ago. But it created sort of a buzz, I think, that really helped them on the trail. And again, they ended up finishing top 25 those two years. This year wasn't really trending that way. I think they had three commits, uh, if I remember right, coming into summer official visit season. So people were like, what is this? You know, has the, has the buzz already evaporated? Is, is the boom off the rose? Um, so in that respect, some people were like, man, maybe you dodged a bullet. Maybe it wasn't going to turn around uh, the way you thought it was. I mean, some people were never really on board with the extension. Um, but then there were others that were like, you know, we don't want to have to hit reset either. And potentially now, you know, lose a good chunk or more, you know, of those those last two classes that that make up a lot of the high end talent on this team. So, I just it, more more than anything, I think people were just upset and and you know they didn't nobody wants that like embarrassment, you know, that that factor, like the headlines, the nature of it, uh, all the salacious details and everything. Like at Michigan State, especially given the last handful of years around here, like to be brought back into the mud like that uh, just in the news cycle really made people mad. Like at that point it was easy, I think to cut ties, 
Um, there are, like I said, there are some people still hanging on that, that believe that the, that the corner was about to be turned. I think there's another segment though that had sort of grown suspicious, and then there was a, probably a small segment that had already, you know, thrown in the towel on him anyway. I know Harlan Barnett is currently re- leading this team um, as the interim head coach, but has there been much talk about where Michigan State goes next um, as the season has gone on, or is that kind of a wait and see, we'll deal with that in the offseason type of approach? In terms of the coaching search, or like will yeah. Harlan Barnett have a chance? Or, yeah, oh, okay. just, just the coaching search in general. Yeah, that's, I mean, the the one benefit of getting, you know, of the situation playing out uh, at the time that it did, of course, is that you basically had two and a half months, really, you know, two technically once he was fired, but really two and a half uh, to get all your ducks in a row and to do a lot of research and, and double back, triple back, double, triple check everything, you know. Uh, so all that to say, I think I, October was a lot of that vetting, backgrounding, observation, you know, just watching things play out, you know, with all this time, you don't have to get caught up in somebody who was hot down the stretch or somebody who was hot in September or somebody who just pulled off a big November upset or or won a bowl game, you know, that they shouldn't have. You don't have to get caught up in anything like that. You have a bigger sample size to, to, to judge things from. Now, as we move into October, I think it gets a lot more real. Uh, It's my understanding that there is a short list of candidates. I, I don't have those names for you, unfortunately, but I think uh, that process in terms of, you know, getting more informal, informal um, feel and, and back channeling with some of those people has begun and, and will continue to happen throughout this month. Uh, the thing, the things that I know uh, confidently at this point is that they do want head coaching experience. Um, that's something that's been a consistent trait with AD Allen Haller, uh, who's been on the job about two years now. Um, obviously, this will be his biggest hire. He had a big hand in, in hiring Mel Tucker when he was a uh, deputy AD. So, um, but as the full-time guy, this will obviously be the biggest thing he's done, but he's hired a women's basketball coach, a hockey coach, uh, I think a rowing coach, a soccer coach, maybe not soccer, but volleyball, softball. And he's pretty much always hired uh, somebody who's been a head coach at a lower level and given them the chance to to elevate it here. So I think head coaching experience one and a clean reputation too. You know, when, when Mel Tucker leaves the way he did, uh, I think they're going to put a premium on character and having a pretty pretty spotless background check. Uh, those would be the two things I feel confident right now saying. I'm sure there's – I know there's more criteria out there. Um, and then there's things, you know, that I think that they should do, or but, but those two things I think are, are uh, good enough to put in, in cement, you know. What do you think they should do, just since you brought it up? Yeah, well, I, I, I think, like, younger, you know, if you can skew younger, you know, under 60 would be ideal. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I just think that – that fits better in the modern game now, uh, yeah. whether you're recruiting or trying to retain players or trying to energize the fan base and get NIL money in your coffers or whatever. And I also just personally, you get the best coach, but personally I think if it's an offensive background guy is a plus, um, not that you disclude defensive coaches or if a defensive guy is your best guy, then that's what you do. I mean, Mark D'Antonio, uh, you guys all know him. We all know him. like, Defensive background, greatest coach in modern program history, probably the whole program history. Uh, you don't turn down a guy, a great coach, just because he's got a defensive background. But I think offense has been a struggle around here for quite a while. Um, I just don't think the fan base is gonna. I think they'd be more receptive to, quite honestly, losing. Uh, you know, 49-42 as opposed to 
24-20 games. You know, they've just seen enough of that. I think if somebody could come in with a quick, you know, a quick fix on offense where you're putting up a bunch of points already and it's not a slow build there, it's a slow build on defense and sort of reverse the roles a little bit, I, yeah. I think uh, more people would, would – I think that would be more palatable at this point. Yeah, modern-day college football offense rules the day, right? Uh, the Buckeyes yeah. are learning that this year, actually. Uh, mm-hmm. Let's get into on-the-field stuff for, for Michigan State this year. Um, we'll start on the offensive side of the ball. And we touched on some of this in, in our written stories, which our question exchange, which we'll have up later on the site. But uh, just what, what's what been good about this offense? Where does it still need to improve? Um, just kind of how is it matched up with your, your expectations coming into the year? Uh, there hasn't been a lot that's been good on it, to be honest. Um, I had major question marks, and, and a lot of them have panned out. You know, I mean, I'm pretty sure every year we've talked, Patrick, I've mentioned the offensive line. Just as a yep. program, it has not been up to par in a long time, and it takes a long time to to get that unit right, you know, unless you're just able to hit on, on major portal wins, I guess. But otherwise, to naturally develop one, it takes a long time. And again, if they can keep all their kids in there, I do think a year or two from now it could be a pretty good unit. But again, best players are in those younger classes and at that position, and you're just not often ready to play early. Um, so that unit's just been about what I expected, you know, sort of a below average, lower tier Big Ten O line. And as everybody, you know, watching and listening here knows, like that just handcuffs you in so many ways. So their running game has never really taken off. And they got a really good running back, Nathan Carter, transfer from Connecticut. He's a good ball player. I mean, he's probably one of the more underrated players in the Big Ten. Um, you know, compact but strong, fast, shifty. Uh, just he he can he can do a lot with a little. Um, not necessarily in the way Kenneth Walker used to do it, but he he's a good back. You know, and I don't think people see that enough because his numbers aren't really there. But when you when you want when when other folks teams play Michigan State, I think they come away saying, "Man, that that kid's pretty good." Um, if he had a decent line in front of him, you know, he'd be a thousand yard rusher. He'd be he'd, you know probably fringe all big 10 third team type of thing like I, I he's that talented but he just hasn't been able to get going and they've been in deficits where they haven't been able to run the ball as much on schedule as they would like so uh receiver my 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 issue coming into the season with them was you lose Jaden Reed and Keon Coleman who's down at Florida State just dominating you know probably gonna have an all-american year for him uh was where, where was the high-end talent you know they had a bunch of guys who were okay you know kind of complimentary number three types you know that's but that's all they had and that's really borne out to be the truth. You know, they just don't have a top end guy that scares you in any type of way. Now they're a little dinged up as we go into this game. Uh, Trey Mosley is a starter who's questionable uh, for this one. Got hurt against Minnesota. Jerron Glover is another starter, uh, second year player, questionable for this one. So that you know, a group that just talent wise has a pretty low ceiling uh, is is now limited physically. Tight end Malik Carr uh, is. Probably their best, yeah, probably their best NFL prospect on offense. 6'6", 260, uh, basketball player coming out of – two-sport guy coming out of high school. Had had like a dozen basketball offers but was always going to play football. Uh, spent a year on Izzo's team after 2021 just as a deep bench guy. But sort of, that was a recruiting promise when they got him out of the portal from Purdue. Uh, so just a high-level athlete but very, very inconsistent, uh, lacking as a blocker but – He's a guy that he's expected to return this week. He's missed the last couple games. Yeah, uh, he's a guy that when they feature him, you know, can make some big plays. I mean, six six two six. You just sometimes physics come into play, and you just can't guard a guy like that, you know. So uh, he's a guy who can give everybody problems, but they don't get the ball to him a lot, and and you know he doesn't. 
always do the things that you need to do to get on the field and, and earn, you know, targets and trust and reps. So he's not a consistent factor for them, but can pop up and make a big play here and there. And then, as I said, quarterback play has been a, a total mystery, and we can get into that. And it just hasn't really been good, uh, whoever's been in there. But coming into the year, I just had no clue what to expect. Uh, and therefore, you know, I, I really wasn't comfortable predicting anything too out there in terms of team success or offensive production just because it was guys who'd never been in those shoes before. So um, that's kind of where the offense is right now. It's not a threatening group. They don't move the ball consistently right now. They haven't turned it over as much lately, but, uh, you know, it's not an explosive group, and uh, they kind of they continue to have questions at quarterback. You mentioned Keon Coleman. I wanted to ask you about him because, obviously, he's having this, this year at Florida State, had the big game to start the year that everyone saw against LSU. Um, what was he viewed like when he announced for the transfer portal? Because it's a guy that I knew just from, from covering the Big Ten and whatnot, but I don't feel like it was as big of a name. And now all of a sudden, like you said, he's an All-American level player. What, was this viewed as a really big loss? And are people, are people surprised that he's produced the way he has at Florida State? Yeah, it should have been. I mean, it should have been like a national headline type of yeah. thing. I mean, I was – I told, uh, you know, Bud Elliott, who works for us, um, yeah. you know, about him and just because uh, I was able to see him up close. I knew him from recruit. Like the kid is, has always kind of been underrated. He's a freak talent. He's at, he was going to be a first rounder, whether he was here, there, anywhere. The kid is six four, like 215, insane freakish athleticism. I mean, he was a triple sport athlete, maybe quadruple sport athlete in high school. Wow. You look up his basketball highlight tape. He's doing 360s in game. He's doing between the legs, windmills, and so just ridiculous dunks in games. Um, and then, he, you know, he, and he translates all that seamlessly to the football field. Uh, I heard coming into 2022 that he was just dominating camp and, and, you know, was their best player by far. And that's a team that had Jaden Reed on it, yeah. um, who was a second-round pick of the Packers and was doing pretty well as a rookie. Um, just dominating, unguardable, you know. And we saw a couple games like that uh, where he really made that mark. So um, absolutely, everyone here knew what he was. You know, coming out of high school, it was a major recruiting win for Mel Tucker in his first class. And, and, and really more team, more programs should have been on him coming out of high school. So, um, yeah, ab- absolutely. I thought from day one, he, he's a future NFL kid. And as he progressed and actually learned how to play receiver and some technique things, uh, uh, you know, by the time coming into this year, I was like, yeah, he's, he's going to be a first-round pick. And uh, he's got all the tools. He's, he's, a, he's a very, very good player. And so, yeah, everyone knew it was a notable loss. And that's what I kept saying is when, when you're talking about this offense and it doesn't really have anybody that scares you, he was that guy that coming into a game like this weekend, at least like at least you have that guy. Um, I don't care if it's Ohio State or Youngstown State, but every game you go into offensively, you have at least one thing you can hang your hat on. And right. it was Keon Coleman. You, they lost that, you know, the second he went out the door. Um, we saw even against Michigan last year, he sort of kept them in it in the first half, you know, against Washington. Uh, there were some moments like that. It just, he, he was that guy that could make a play against any team you faced. Mm-hmm. And now they don't have that, uh, clearly as an offense and, and they've struggled because of it. Well, you touched on briefly the, the quarterbacks. Um, there's been three, I believe that have played for Michigan state. Can you take us through just kind of the, the cycle at quarterback that, that has been the 2023 season yeah so it started with uh well Peyton Thorne the two-year starter transferred out at the end of the spring he's at Auburn I'm sure folks realize that uh and that left it basically between Kate, uh, Noah Kim and Kaden Hauser in camp Noah Kim's a fourth-year guy he was 
Thorne's backup last year. He won the job coming out of camp. And basically, he won the job, much like Peyton Thorne did, you know, uh, coming into 2021, just by being the more steady, trustworthy, and risk-averse guy. That's what we've learned with the staff. It's like they, they really value taking care of the ball and don't make the big mistake. I, I value don't avoiding the big mistake more than I value making the big splashy play, if that makes sense. And yeah. so Noah Kim, you know, has been in the system for four years, knew the checks at the line of scrimmage, had chemistry with some of the younger, with some of those receivers who are emerging uh, up from the second string and whatnot. So he wins the job. And he does okay the first two weeks, uh, was Big Ten Player of the Week offensively, I think, in week two against Richmond. Week one was against Central Michigan. But as soon as they started playing power five teams with Washington in week three, his production fell off a cliff. And he was no longer the safe, cautious guy. He was turning the ball over. He was making risky plays. Uh, I think he had six turnovers and one pick across his last three starts. Um, Six picks and one touchdown uh, over his last three starts. I'm pretty sure something very close to that. So – he was not. He never was really the big play guy, and then he stopped being the cautious ball security guy at the same time. So really, the ways that he won the job initially no longer became valid, and the offense just completely flatlined. Um, so they just had to have a spark. We all know we've all seen enough college football. Like sometimes a change is just all you need. Whether the guy, the next guy, is, is uh, objectively better, sometimes a change it just does it. Yeah. Um, so in comes Kaden Hauser. He started against Rutgers uh, for the first time. He had done some mop-up duty a little bit before that. Uh, he's a redshirt freshman. First big-time quarterback recruit this staff landed was from St. John Bosco, four-star kid, Elite 11 uh, finalist out there. And uh, a lot of people, you know, behind the scenes, uh, mostly in, in the fan base, but a lot of people were very, very excited for him to finally get his shot. And uh, it's just been okay. You know, he started every game uh, since that Rutgers night or uh, afternoon, I guess. In fairness to him, Rutgers was played in a total downpour um, the entire day. Yeah, I remember that. He's a a Nevada kid who finished in California from finished high school out there. He said he'd never played in rain before. I get it, Um, you know, but whatever. Second game, second career start is against Michigan. And, yeah, you know, uh, get your jokes out. Pause for a laughter, okay? But, like, they're still a really good defense. No matter what you want to, you know, say about them right now, they're still very, very good. So then, finally, Minnesota, a couple, you know, his third start felt like, okay, this is an even playing field for which, upon which we can judge him sort of naturally and fairly. And uh, he didn't lead, lead a touchdown drive. Uh, the offense, you know, outside of two early fumbles that they recovered right on the fringe of the red zone, kicked two field goals, but they didn't, they didn't get touchdowns out of them. The offenses didn't move. And so Sam Levitt, the true freshman, uh, came in that game. He led their only touchdown drive and just gave him an immediate spark. You know, he's a sort of a gunslinger, like swashbuckler off script. He'll make things happen with his legs. He'll throw on the run. Like I've kind of um, compared him to like a, a poor man's poor man's. Like don't, don't, don't get it twisted, but some poor man's shades of Baker Mayfield in there just in terms of how he plays. Um, I'm not necessarily comparing him to a Heisman Trophy winner, but in terms of style and his ability to extend plays, make things happen off script with his feet, all that, uh, he looked really impressive. And uh, so much that I thought last week, and so did most people, kind of thought Levitt might start last week's game against Nebraska because that was going to be his fourth game. And now they're going to have to make a redshirt decision on him. It didn't happen. He only played two series against Nebraska. They had a pre-scripted plan. They said every third series of the half, we're going to throw you in there. 
the first one, they ended up just incidentally backed up to their own four yard line. So not a great situation for him there. Oh. And then he only got one other situ- one other drive the rest of the day. And now he's at four games. They blew one game against Maryland where he played one series and they blew one against Michigan where I think he played two, maybe three very late in the game. And now he was a four-star kid himself, like Gatorade player of the year in Oregon, uh, formerly committed to Washington state. Like he's a guy that, you know, what's he really playing for, for this staff? You know, is he playing to market himself for the portal? Is he playing to, to get, to earn a spot for the next staff, you know, and get some, some stuff on film. I, so I don't know if he's going to be available this weekend, long story short, because he is right at that threshold to where if he plays one more snap, this year counts for him. Um, now he comes from an athletic family. His dad was a college player. His brother's in the NFL. And the one thing you consistently hear about him is that he's super, super confident, like legitimately came into camp in August thinking he could win the job as a true freshman without being here for spring. Um, so a guy like that maybe doesn't think he needs four years you know, to make it to the league. Maybe he's not concerned with the red shirt. I, I don't know. He was asked about it last weekend. Uh, he said he, he'd have to sit down and talk about it and think about it. I don't know which way he's going to go because I think it's clear he's the most talented. I think it's clear he gives them the most upside. But Kate Hauser, the, who the, you know, the incumbent starter, hasn't – he's played just above that line, I think, where it would come clear. His second, as soon as he dropped below that line, like the – the Mendoza line, I think you'd call it. I'm not a baseball yeah. guy, but yeah. as soon as he dropped below that line, it'd be easy to say, okay, yank him and, and give Levin a shot. But I think he's played just okay enough to where it feels a little unfair to, to replace him right away. So it's delicate. It's tricky. I really don't know what you do uh, if you're the coaching staff, but that's the situation there. And I don't know where – I don't know if Levitt's going to be available, and I don't even know if it makes sense for him, to be honest, to, to play it out for a lame duck staff like this. Um, you know, I, I really wouldn't blame him either way, but uh, that, that's kind of the situation there. I know I went long in that. No, that's good. Uh, obviously a, a key position for this game and the, and the rest of the season um, and, and quite a unique situation, I think, there with, with how that's all played out. Um, let's flip over to the defensive side of the ball because I don't want to hold you too long. Uh, this, as, as I asked you in our written piece, like this was the no-fly zone. This was – what Michigan state was, was the defense. It has not been the same the last few years. Um, kind of where are we defensively with the Spartans right now? Yeah, that's, you know, they're finally kind of turning a corner, you know, and I, I know this, the numbers and the stats probably don't reflect that uh, very strongly, but at least compared to where they've been under Mel Tucker, his staff remains, you know, they, they are improving uh, this year and showing some life. And they did in the second half of last year too. Finally, you know, after Scotty Hazleton, the D.C., has been here the entire time and people have been ready to get rid of him basically since year two, even when they won 11 games uh, in 2021. They were dead last nationally in passing yards allowed per game. Uh, Last year, they were dead last in interceptions nationally with two and only one was from a DB. So things haven't been great on that side of the ball. Uh, And some people have blamed scheme. Some people blame talent. I think it's probably been both. Um, but this year they've kind of have turned a corner in some ways. Uh, the D line in the front seven as a whole was supposed to be really good. And I was saying, you know, during the preseason, uh, like I told you earlier, I thought they'd win six games, Yeah. but if the, if they were going to overachieve and become something greater than that, I thought it would be because this front seven was like maybe one of the two or three best in the big 10 hasn't happened. Uh, they made a big, big deal about their transfer, uh, D line class that came in. They got in, they got three tackles who were all 6'5", 300 plus. 
and only one of them, Jalen Sami from Colorado, has played even, you know, rotation snaps. The other two guys have combined, I think, for like four games and basically been non-factors. Uh, they brought in a transfer end to Mise uh, Adelea, formerly of AM. Uh, only played three games in two years in AM, was like a four star kid coming out of high school after that. They thought they were getting a big time player. He was a big end at like 290 pounds. They, you know, they were touting how he could play zero technique all the way out to nine. And uh, he's already gone from the program. He left uh, before the Minnesota game and was going into the transfer portal. I think he ended up doing that. Either way, no longer with the team and really wasn't productive at all for them. So the D-line portal additions that they that they touted all offseason have been a total bust. Uh, the returning guys have been their best guys. Simeon Barrow, number eight, uh, he had a brief, like, two-day flirtation with the transfer portal. He's back, though. He's their best D-tackle. Uh, Zion Young, number nine, in defensive ends, probably their be- is their best end, uh, sophomore. He's a guy that I think will – I would be surprised if there's not some heavy portal interest in him after the season. Uh, a kid from Georgia, um, really good player, but still a little raw. So, as, as a defense, you know the front seven they're still good, pretty good at stopping the run, but they just they can't rush the passer consistently, basically at all. And that's been a problem for several years, you know, with this defense. Uh, the linebackers, again, they're, they're more downhill. They're not as deep as they were. Jacoby Winman, uh, one of their better playmakers, he's a guy who can get up on the line and rush the passer and do creative things like that. He's out for the season. Uh, and so they're left with a bunch of guys who can flow downhill and stop the run on you, but they're very, very susceptible to the passing game. And, you know, that's been something that bugged people for a long time. Tight ends getting open, deep, you know, intermediate crossers getting open, behind, throwing over their heads 15, 20 yards downfield. They're just – they're not very reliable in the passing game at all. Uh, and then the back, the defensive backfield was, was the weakness for the longest time. Cornerbacks just getting cooked. And, and safeties that couldn't tackle and everything. This year it's finally coming together. Uh, and the shame of it is you just don't know how long it'll be together and, and what they're growing toward right. with the inevitability of, of probably some turnover in the portal after this season when the new staff gets here. Uh, but every, four out of the five starters are first or second year players. Remember I said though, that's where the talent, you know, is concentrated on this roster. Uh, three out of those four, I think at least were four star kids, uh, maybe even four. So they're all very highly regarded recruits. They're all very, you know, Mel Tucker was 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 a stickler on size. So they all have legit size and length uh, and measurables. They're just very good athletes back there, um, and they're all really coming together and showing some progress, some progress and some growth. They do occasionally, like they got true freshman corner starting right now, Chance Rucker. True freshman, like he, he looks a little skinny out there sometimes, he, he, and sometimes he's, he's he needs a little more beef, you know, on him to take down a ball carrier. Okay. Uh, safety, Jaden Mangum, you know, sophomore. Uh, sometimes you can just tell he needs a little more seasoning, but then he'll pop up and make a huge play coming over across the field and getting a pick. He's got four interceptions on the year. Dylan Tatum is a corner uh, who was a sprinter, hurdler, running back, uh, do-it-all guy in high school, is really learning to play corner this last year. Uh, he played some safety and nickel and all sorts of stuff as a true freshman, really just getting roots at corner. And uh, he has some very good moments. Then he has some moments where you're like, ah, this kid's played corner for less than 12 months, you know? So, but they're really, if they could, if you could put like a franchise tag on a, on a unit in college, you know, and say, we just want to keep all these guys, it would no doubt be back there. Cause they're all most four out of the five are young. And there's just a lot, a lot of upside there. Uh, you know, now Marvin Harrison will probably have like 250 yards on him, and people will think I'm crazy, but trust me there, when you've seen it as bad as it was these last couple of years, there's, there's some very noticeable 
optimism and some promise there. I, I think that, as I told you in our Q&A, I think they'll make a couple good plays that people will be like, whoa, you know, but not enough to shut down Ohio State's passing game. All right. Um, let's uh, get you out of here on this Michigan stuff because that's all anyone really seems to want to talk about, at least in our neck of the woods. Um, I'm curious how it's been viewed in East Lansing and, and among Michigan State fans. I mean, if you go to our message board right now, I would say probably 70% of it is Harbaugh, Michigan, uh, Big Ten commissioners, you know, all that related. What What's kind of been the reaction as as sort of Michigan's other rival um, to all of this and, and kind of how has, has it been treated in East Lansing? I'm sure it's exactly, you know, pretty much exactly like it has been in the Ohio State circles. Okay. I mean, people are uh, – are quick to, you know, of course they're quick to point and, uh, you know, cast blame on people and, you know, make, uh, you know, fantasy uh, predictions of what's going to happen punishment wise and everything. Yeah. I mean, the, Michigan state uh, has a long history of feeling slighted by the big 10. Uh, and I think some of it's justified. Some of it's probably a little, uh, you know, paranoia driven and everything, but um, that, you know, they want, they want do, they want adequate punishment and uh, they want something to happen. You know, they don't, they don't just want to see Michigan. They don't want to feel like Michigan just gets off easy. Right. Uh, something like this. You had Connor Stallions on their sideline in central Michigan gear, you know, so they feel like directly sort of, uh, you know, victimized by that. Let alone, you know, let alone obviously everything that happens on the field. Uh, and this is a university too, that a year ago had the tunnel flight incident. And that night, you know, their due process were two words you never heard. Yeah. Uh, it was, it was Harbaugh and Ward Manuel pounding the table for, immediate justice and accountability and whatnot. Uh, you know, there was the due process never, never seemed to come up. So, you know, ESPN reported that the AD Alan Haller, you know, made a big point about that on their call uh, when, when they talked with the commissioner, I think. And uh, so, yeah, there's definitely a strong sense of like, they can't get off the left off the hook from this. Cause there's always an around here. People always believe that there's an implicit bias at the top for Michigan and Ohio state actually, but yeah. you know, the two golden gooses and geese. And so uh, that's, that's kind of how people feel, you know, they just want to see, uh, they want to see something happen, you know, on the, on the end of it. They don't want to see, they don't want to feel like Michigan got away with this. Um, and I guess that's sort of the overriding sentiment, you know, they still beat them in 21 when allegedly some of this stuff was going on. So they have that, I guess, but uh yeah, it's a, you know they're taking their victory lap and their moral superiority and saying, "Ha ha, you're you're some dirty cheaters. Look at you. You know this is all going to be vacated or whatever." You know, there's a lot of that. Uh, but I think more than anything, they just don't want to feel like Michigan gets a free pass out of out of something like this. Yeah, sounds very similar to what's gone on around here. Um, I'm frankly, as I've said a few times the last couple weeks, I'm kind of sick of talking about it. But people want to talk about it, and it's a big story. So. I just yeah for the first couple weeks like the waves were pretty fun to ride because like every eight to twelve hours there was a major development we were just like oh my gosh and then oh my god is everywhere you looked it was like something new was breaking but I'm starting to reach the fatigue point a little bit too where I just kind of want something to happen to be done with it Um, tip my cap to all the great reporting that's going on out there with it but yeah I just I'm kind of ready to reach the finish line on it all too even though it's 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 been a fairly fun ride at times, at times. Yeah, I had Alejandro Zuniga, our, one of our Michigan writers, on last week. And I said to him, like, this is supposed to be football time. Like, we're supposed to be talking football. Like, save this stuff for the offseason. And, you know, it would have been nice if this would have come out in 
you know, June when we don't have anything else to write about. Right. Uh, that's when Absolutely. I would have been more all over it. All right, Stephen. Well, thank you very much for jumping on. Uh, I know you're busy throughout every week, um, but look forward to seeing you in the press box on Saturday. And again, appreciate uh, you working with us throughout this week. Absolutely, man. Thanks for having me. Thanks for your help. And uh, yeah, see you Saturday. All right. Sounds good. That was Stephen Brooks from Spartan Tailgate, our 24-7 sports Michigan State site. Um, check out stuff over there if you are looking for any sort of Michigan State coverage. Obviously, they, they've kind of flown under the radar because of the season that the Spartans have had this year. But, um, you know, there's going to be some some interesting decisions made up in East Lansing this offseason as they try and get back on track post Mel Tucker. Um, and then obviously the game on Saturday here, Buckeyes big favorites. Um, but, you know, you got it. You got to take care of business. Right. So I want to now dive into, first of all, if you have any if you're watching this live, you have any questions you'd like answered about the Buckeyes feel free to throw them in the comment section. Um, I'll try and get to some at the end. We went long with Steven because I think he was doing a great job. But um, if you have any questions, throw them in there. We'll try and get to them. But I want to talk about this Buckeye offense because the perception, which I think is is rooted in reality, is that this offense um, is kind of holding this team back, right? Uh, this is a national championship contender. They're the top-ranked team in the college football playoff rankings. Whether you believe they're the best team in the country or not doesn't really matter. You know they're one of the top four. If they win out, they're going to be in the playoff. Um, if they lose a game to Michigan, I think you still have a pretty good case, depending on what happens to other people. But the offense seems to be where everyone is is concerned. And I want to start with Kyle McCord because I think that's where this all begins, right? Uh, the offensive line, too, but I think they've gotten better week by week. And I think Kyle's gotten better. Um, the, the, this was a stat that was thrown out earlier this week. Steve Hellwagon, uh, mentioned it on, on one of our podcasts earlier this week. Um, if you compare Kyle McCord's numbers, and I'm going to do this in a second in case you can't look it up to JJ McCarthy of Michigan, who is getting Heisman trophy buzz, they are eerily similar. And the conversation around Kyle is nowhere near the conversation around JJ. Uh, let me read you Kyle's stats this year. He's completing 65% of his pass passes for 2,352 yards, 17 touchdowns, four interceptions. Those Three of those four interceptions have come in the last two games. JJ McCarthy, to his credit, completing 75.7% of his passes. That's a decent jump. 2,134 yards, so about 200 fewer than Kyle, 18 touchdowns, one more than Kyle, three interceptions, one fewer than Kyle. Numbers pretty similar, right? Um, what I've said about this throughout the season is that Kyle, fairly or not, is going to be held to a very high standard. And that standard is Heisman Trophy level quarterback. That is what Dwayne Haskins was. That is what CJ or Justin Fields and CJ Stroud were. Um, those guys in their first years as starters were remarkable for what a first year starting quarterback generally is. If we're going to continue to use the JJ McCarthy comparison, last year he threw for 2,000. He completed 64.6% of his passes, 2,719 yards, 22 touchdowns, five interceptions. I have a few other guys here that I want to compare their first starting seasons for 
Michael Penix Jr. may be the favorite for the Heisman Trophy. Now, he is in his sixth year of college football and has put up berserk numbers, 3,201 yards, 26 touchdowns, seven interceptions. He's playing great. Washington is is right on the edge of, of a playoff spot and will, will likely get in if they keep winning. Um, but his first year starting at Indiana, uh, he, well, we'll go to 2020. That was his third year in the program. It was his best season at Indiana. It was a year that he came into the horseshoe. Now, a strange year, keep this in mind, because not you didn't play as many games because of the COVID stuff. But still, you could extrapolate this out. 1,645 yards, 14 touchdowns, four interceptions. You play that out on a 12-game schedule, Kyle's looking to uh, to, to pass that. Um, some of those numbers he probably already has. Let's go to Bo Nix, who, again, another guy in the Heisman Trophy conversation now that he's transferred from Auburn to Oregon. Um, his He started as a true freshman, but we'll even go to his sophomore year. Which actually, his true freshman year was his best year uh, of the first two. His best year at Auburn, 2,542 passing yards, completing 57.6% of his passes, 16 touchdowns, six interceptions. One more for you. Joe Burrow. Buckeye fans know Joe Burrow, right? Uh, we, we remember what he did when uh, in his time in Columbus, which wasn't as much as he did at LSU. His first season at LSU – the year before he had the record-setting Heisman Trophy winning campaign, completed 57.8% of his passes for 2,894 yards, 16 touchdowns, and five interceptions. I say all this because I'm not trying to defend Kyle McCord or say that he shouldn't be held to the same standard as Haskins, Fields, C.J. Stroud. What I'm saying is that most first-year starting quarterbacks don't play as well as those three guys did. They are an anomaly, and Ohio State has benefited from that in a huge way. Kyle McCord has a chance to continue to get better, which he's done every week, despite what some people will tell you, and really have a good, a great season next season. Now, we're focused on this year, and we're talking about this year's offense and is it holding this team back? Is it good enough to help this Buckeye team, which has one of the best defenses in the country, win a national championship? Can Kyle McCord go into Ann Arbor and beat Michigan? Can Kyle McCord go into the college football playoff if the Buckeyes handle their business at the big house and win a college football playoff game? It's not all on him, but he will be judged on that, correct? So you look at what Kyle's done and – He's continued to learn, continued to get better. You know, even in his worst statistical game last week in terms of uh, yardage, throwing for only 189 yards, I thought that was one of the better performances he'd had because he took what the defense was giving him. Mostly, he did throw a bad interception, not a bad interception, but not a good interception. Um, you know, just didn't put enough on it. I think he made the right read. Uh, but And then he makes three touch, three great touchdown passes in that game. But the big thing for me was coming off of at Wisconsin and throwing that touchdown or that interception in the end zone, trying to make a play. Kyle really took what the defense gave him 73.1% completions. That's his highest of the season. Now, granted, a lot of that was short stuff, short stuff, short stuff, but it certainly was 
not because it was because of what Rutgers was doing. They were putting a shell on the defense, playing two high safeties. They weren't going to let Ohio State get anything over the top. So what Kyle do? No, I'll dump it off to G Scott. I'll throw it over the middle. Let Trayvon Henderson run for 65 yards. You know, I think Ohio State could have helped him with some slant routes and things like that. Get Marvin Harrison and Mekic Buka more involved. Uh, but I look. Will this offense ever look like last year with C.J. Stroud against Georgia and throwing it all over the place? No, but it doesn't need to. The defense is so good that they will keep this offense in games like they've done all season. Now, they will play better offenses, and they will get tested more than they have, but they've continued to show up and and make plays. And then you've got Travion Henderson, who skipped – not skipped – was out for three weeks and has come back and has looked these last two weeks – fresh and as good as he has since his freshman season. And I think that could be a big difference. And then you just have these receivers, right? Look, it's not that hard. Look at, I mean, Marvin Harrison's game last week, he caught what four passes. Uh, Let me pull the numbers up here just to make sure I'm saying this correctly. He caught. Yeah. Four passes for 25 yards, still two touchdowns. Name of the game, scoring touchdowns, right? You want to score touchdown. Kyle got him in the end zone twice. Emeka Buka just back from an injury uh, that kept him out three weeks. We talked with him this this week. He talked about just kind of feeling rusty. Uh, four catches, 29 yards. Those two guys alone are good enough that I think Kyle can make enough plays to win at a high level. He is already proven that he can win these big games, right? That's something that that a lot of people have criticized C.J. Stroud for. He didn't win the big games. Uh, he didn't beat Michigan. Kyle still hasn't done that. He'll have to go do that. But he has gone to Notre Dame. He has beaten Penn State at home. Um, you know, he went to Wisconsin. He played a good Rutgers team. And if you don't believe that's a good Rutgers team, College Football Playoff Committee this week used Rutgers as an example of why Ohio State stayed number one. Um, so, look, I'm not saying Kyle can't get doesn't need to get better. He certainly does. There are things that are still frustrating. The consistency is crazy weird in terms of you start 11 for 11 last week, then you go one of five, including that interception and then finish seven of 10. Where's the consistency. He's got to find that. There's no doubt about that because you can't have these lulls probably in a college football playoff semifinal. Um, And I asked Ryan day about that this week. He talked about getting his feet underneath him. And that's when Kyle plays his best. That needs to happen all the time. And they need to figure that out. Kyle needs to figure that out. But I think this is what you should expect from first-year starting quarterbacks. This is how they normally play out. It's it's slow progression throughout that first season, and I know you don't have time to wait because you've got a great defense that could win you a national championship, but I don't think you'll need to. At least I don't think that will be the reason that Ohio State loses. You know, Maybe Kyle throws a really bad interception in one of these big games, but he's got the weapons around him that he can – make these easier plays. You know, it's not like some of those guys I mentioned, you know, we'll exclude Joe Burrow because we know what he was throwing to with the receivers that they had at LSU. But some of those other guys I mentioned, including JJ McCarthy, they didn't have those weapons to help them in that first year. So the Kyle does. And I think that will ultimately be the difference. And he has to continue to improve. And I do think there is a, a I would say a pretty good chance Assuming Kyle, you know, continues to put in the work and and do the things that he's supposed to do, that he comes back next season and there's a pretty big leap year one to year two. Um, And, you know, we can discuss that all later, but I do think it's important to remember this is a first year starter 
And these first year starters, these last few years have, have not been what, uh, what, what is normal for, for a first year guy at quarterback. Um, I also think when we talk about this offense, it's important to remember that those guys have been out. They missed Travion Henderson. I think more than they probably realized in those three games. Now it's worked out really well because he's come back and he's fresh, as I mentioned, and I think he's going to be huge down the stretch, assuming he stays healthy, but they miss those guys. Now you get Trayvon Henderson back. All of a sudden, oh, wow, you have a running game, a really good running game, a diverse uh, attack with your running back. Okay, you, you've got Emeka Buka that misses three games. Well, yeah, you can you can throw in some other guys. Xavier Johnson, who's played well. Carnell Tate has played well. Carnell Tate's just not ready yet to be Emeka Buka. Uh, Xavier Johnson, you know, he can take those end arounds, those jet sweeps, but they're going for four or five yards. And Emeka Buka has the ability, they haven't always hit, but has the ability to make that 15, 20 yards uh, when he's fully healthy. This could be a game Saturday where I think the pieces really start to come together. Now it's against a bad Michigan State defense. Uh, Steven was just talking about, he thinks the, the secondary will make some plays, the but they shouldn't shouldn't be able to stop Ohio State's passing attack, Ohio State's offense. I think this is a game where Mecca Ibuka can get back into a groove. Cade Stover is expected to be back. Now all of a sudden, this offense, it's coming back together, right? As Kyle McCord has now been into start 9-10. And I think this is where it has to start clicking. And it has to be consistent. And I think it will be. Um, you know, you, you, you've got these next two weeks, Michigan State, Minnesota, at home. Get things flowing. You know, as long as these guys are healthy, you shouldn't have much of a problem. Um, and that's the way I kind of see it. Now, they need to go out and do it against Michigan. Um, it needs to be better than it was against Notre Dame. It needs to be better than it was against Penn State when you didn't have a Mecca Buka and you had a banged up Cade Stover from, from early on in that game. So, you know, it, it has to continue to take steps. But I get the sense that people are really worried about this offense because of Kyle McCord or because of this offensive line, which has gotten better, uh, still some mistakes, but I think you're seeing the pieces start to finally, you know, kind of congeal together as everyone's getting back healthy. And I think the Buckeyes have done a good job of managing those injuries, not getting guys back quicker just because they felt like they needed them on the field. It could start to take off. I don't think it's going to look like last year with C.J. Stroud or two years ago with C.J. Stroud or three years ago with Justin Fields. Kyle McCord just isn't there at this point in his career. Maybe he gets there at some point. But is it good enough to beat Michigan and Ann Arbor with the way this defense is playing? Yes. Is it good enough to go on, win the Big Ten, and make a run in the college football playoff? Yes, it's good enough. As long as this defense keeps playing the way that it is, these guys stay healthy, uh, you need to get some guys back on the defensive side too. Lathan Ransom, specifically, a guy that that they, you know, desperately missed last week just because of his veteran ability. But offensively, look, I, I believe in those big games, those college football playoff level games, you have to score points. But the Buckeyes have shown how good this defense is this year. That in some of those games, those matchup games, as as Ryan Day calls it, they've been able to score enough points. You'll need to score more in the playoff. I don't think you can get away with scoring 17-ish points um, to 17, 18 points roughly in there, which is what they did against those top two teams that they played so far. Um, you have to score more than that. But I think there's the potential of this offense to, to really start to click. 
We'll find out over these next couple weeks, won't we? Um, the the offense should look good with that. And I, I think Ohio State coaching staff, I meant to bring this up earlier, I think the coaching staff can help Kyle a bit more. I think there are things that he has done well, like play action. They've used that, especially now that you have a running game where he can start hitting on some things. You know, I think some easy routes over the middle to get these guys going, get him going early in games and trying to get him into that rhythm earlier so that you're not trying to turn it on in the second half. And then the Buckeyes have been good at that, but you know, play action, especially, I think that's where he may be at his best right now. I think they could use that more um, to, to kind of, you know, get things going. I also think he can use his legs a little bit more. I know he's not known for that, but when he's taken off and run, you know, and, and maybe taking a hit or two and, and not a big hit, you don't want to get your quarterback hurt, but you know, whatever you got to do to wake him up and, and get him, get him going, get him going. So we shall see, but I do think these next two weeks, things should start looking more like Ohio state fans expect. And I do think that, uh, I do think that that will start to maybe change the opinion a little bit. We'll see. Um, all right, I want to get to our final segment. I'm looking here to see if there were any questions. I'm not sure I saw any. If you did post a question in the chat here, um, feel free to post it again just to uh, just to, so I can try and answer that. But the, uh, the final segment that we like to do here on the Bucknuts Happy Hour, what you'll be reading. Look, this game should be pretty straightforward. Sunday morning. When you get up, you're going to check on your Buckeye, um, your Buckeye headlines on, on Bucknuts. Buckeyes handle business, hammer Spartans. I, I, if it's anything other than that, I'm going to have some serious questions. This is a Michigan State team. Yeah, they got a win last week against Nebraska. They're feeling better. They lost six straight games. Um, they've really struggled in the Big Ten, one and five. Don't give this team any hope. Go out there, put your foot on the throat, your foot on their throat early. Get this. This should be this should be Purdue plus some. Uh, this should be this game should be nearly over at halftime. Now I will say because I've watched this team play all season, they like to they like to mess around in the first half and and whatnot. So look, I won't be surprised if this game's probably closer than it should be at halftime. And by that I mean like you know. 24 to seven, or I don't know, something along those lines. But by the end of this game, the starters should not have played a ton. There should be pretty easy uh, uh, time to take these guys out and it, it should be over by the fourth quarter at the latest. So I think, I think coming up with the headline there should be pretty easy. Buckeyes roll Spartans, you know, one week closer to Michigan is really should be the headline. There shouldn't be anything else to worry about. Um, did see a question here. G-O-J Gogj. Uh, do you think Tate, Carnell Tate, is ready to be the full-time third wide receiver? So Marvin Harrison Jr. one, Emeka Buka two. If you're taking someone off the field at three, it's Julian Fleming. And I know Fleming's numbers aren't good. I think he has 19 catches this season. Uh, but there's a reason Julian Fleming's on the field. And it is because of all the other things that he does. If you go back, there's a number of plays I could point to, but this is just the most recent. If you go back and watch, and I, I highlighted this in uh, a piece I did earlier this week. If you go back and watch what Julian Fleming did on the Travion Henderson catch and run, a number of guys were key in that. 
in terms of blocking Xavier Johnson downfield, but Julian Fleming, the, the willingness to just fight and block and, and a lot of receivers do this, but Carnell Tate has not shown he's ready for that side of the game yet. And that is something that again, won't show up on the stat sheet, but pretty important for the Buckeyes. And look, that, that play from Travion Henderson still probably gets, I don't know, 30, 40 yards, but the block by Fleming allowed him to cut back inside and take it another 15, 20 yards for that 65 yard gain, almost a touchdown if he doesn't get shoestring tackled at the end. So look, I think if you're just talking purely catching the ball, I think Carnell Tate could, could go out there and do that. He has these last few weeks with the Mecca book out. Right. But I think there's still those other things that are pretty important that uh, you, you, you have to have in this offense and, you know, just maybe doesn't get talked about enough. Um, all right. I don't see any other questions in there. If you have one, throw it in real quick before we wrap up. But I do want to thank Stephen Brooks from Spartan Tailgate for jumping on with us. I thought he gave a lot of good information about the Spartans. If you tuned in live late, go back and listen to Stephen. There was plenty of good information about what's going on at Michigan State, what's happened on the field, coaching search, Um he talked about the Michigan stuff from their perspective as well. So thank you to him for joining us. I look forward to seeing him on Saturday. Thank you for everyone who tuned in live, who listened to this as a podcast after the fact. This is another episode of the Bucknuts Happy Hour. I'm Patrick Murphy of 24-7 Sports and Bucknuts. Thanks again, guys. We will talk to you after the game on Saturday night. Going to be a late one, but should be pretty pretty straightforward, I think. Right, guys? Cheers.